and I like remember that first run. It was cold. It sucked. It like felt terrible on my body because I was like obviously not conditioned. But there was something about being outside that I really enjoyed. This runs radio episode one thousand and sixty-eight starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, y'all, uh, real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, today's episode is brought to you by Be Ready on Race Day, the book I wrote a few years ago that's still out there, still available, and I, I like to think still a viable option to help you when it comes to getting ready for whatever race is the next race that's on your calendar. Basically, what I try to do in the book is outline everything I do as a coach. Now, this is this is less of a of a done for you program than a here's how to do it for yourself because you may have heard me say once in a while that I don't really believe in anything being one size fits all and I certainly don't believe in that when it comes to preparing for a race. So it doesn't have plans that you can follow. It has plans for how to put a plan together. So you can take a look at your life, your schedule, your race, your goals and craft a plan. And trust that it's, like it's actually a solid plan, that you're ticking all the boxes, that you haven't missed anything. So if that sounds like something that might be right for you, whether you're looking ahead to a race this fall or whether you're thinking maybe this will be useful down the road, or maybe you just want to better understand why training plans are kind of structured how they are, what some of the methods behind the madness are, those questions can be answered with the book too. I think, I hope, uh, but you can check it out at Be Ready. On racedate.com that's got some sample chapters and kind of an idea of what of what you're getting yourself into. And if you want to get yourself a copy, you can order it right there from the website. You can also find it on Amazon. It's available via print and also via Kindle. So whatever option is better for you, you can get it that way. And if you if if an audio option might be better for you, let me know. I've been kicking around the idea of of publishing the audiobook as well. I don't know that it's the best audiobook, but hey, I'm also maybe not as as audio audio audio. Aud, aud. I'm not as much of a person who learns from verbal. I'm not as much of a verbal learner. There you go. Apparently, I'm not much of a verbal communicator either. Um, but if if you think that having the copy of the book available via Audible might be useful, let me know. Not that you need to commit to anything, but if there's at least a few people that are like, yeah, this might be this might be what would be best for me. Maybe I'll go ahead and do it. I don't know. No promises. But just let me know. Let me know what you think. One way or the other, be ready on racedaycom is the website. Get yourself a copy of the book if you haven't done so already. If you have a copy and haven't left a review on Amazon yet, you know, you could do that. That'd help a brother out. But uh, one way or the other, hope you enjoy the book. Hope it's helpful. Hope it's useful for you. And now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, y'all. Uh, today's guest is one of those people that I could probably talk to for days. So uh, apologies in advance if this episode gets uh, gets a little bit long. Uh, today's guest is a physical therapist and is all about helping runners stay healthy and proactively avoid many of those common maladies that occur within our sport. And uh, if you've been listening for at any time at all, you know that I can't resist a good running injury 
conversation. So hopefully we'll get into at least a little bit of that today. Uh, He's also a running coach and a podcast host in addition to being a runner himself. So beyond just injury talk and rehab talk and preventive, preventative measures talk, we may have a few other things to talk about today. So let's uh, get the party started and officially welcome Dr. Dwayne Scotty to the show. So thanks for joining us today, Dwayne. Really appreciate it. Danny, I'm super pumped to be here. I'm excited to actually chat with you. I've been listening to many of your episodes of my uh, long, easy runs, and uh, it's exciting to actually uh, meet you. Yeah, I'm excited for it as well. And, and uh, y'all, if, if you're listening today, enjoy the conversation and you want to find out more about what Dwayne's got going on, some of the programs he has, certainly no shortage of resources that he has as well. The home base is sparkhealthyrunner.com. You can also find him on Instagram at sparkhealthyrunner. Kind of convenient. Same handle, both places. The handle's the same as the URL. He's also got the YouTubes. He's got the Facebook groups. He's got all the things. But again, if you just go back to sparkhealthyrunner.com, that's that's a great home base. Or again, you can get there from Instagram at sparkhealthyrunner. Of course, we've got links for today's episode, links back to Dwayne's information, his his website, all that good stuff at disruns.com slash 1068. Disruns.com slash 1068. We'll get you back to the show notes for today. And you can click away, see some photos, all the things as per usual. So, Dwayne, the way we always start off each episode is with a, a pretty simple question. Uh, sometimes easy one to answer, sometimes a little bit more complicated because there's a lot of good options out there. But one way or the other, it, it usually provides six or eight follow-up questions that I ultimately have to pick one to go with. Uh, and then that leads us right into the conversation. But that's just to simply ask, what is your favorite distance to race and why? Half marathon by far. Um, and the reason... You know, I, I was thinking about this and I really didn't need to give it much thought, honestly, when I've heard some of your other episodes is uh, it is my favorite because it doesn't feel like you are sprinting like I feel like I am at a 5K and I'm basically it sucks the whole time. Um, half marathon, you do have to, you know, implement some pacing strategy in the race and it is long enough um, where, you know, you can you know, build up some fitness and, you know, your training plan, you're out there on the road, getting those mental clearing miles in. Um, but it doesn't feel like a sprint, uh, per se. So that one is definitely my favorite. I've done 28 of them out of, you know, pretty much 65 races. So almost half of them have been half marathons. And, you know, the one that I know you've mentioned this before as well, uh, but you don't find a whole lot is the 10 miler. And if I could find a 10 miler and the timing works for me, there's like literally two or three here in Connecticut. Um, And it's always like when my girls got, you know, weekend volleyball tournaments or something going on, but that I I would definitely love to do a 10 miler because it's almost like, Hey, you're going out there saying you're doing a half, but you're just going a little bit harder. And then it's over three miles earlier. So, uh, you know, that would, that would be my close second, but there, there are not a lot of them around. Yeah, it's it's sometimes frustrating how few and far between the ten milers can be. Like we, we, I think I've mentioned this before. We had we had one in town for a couple of years, and like the first year, everybody ran it. It was super, you know, super popular. They came back the next year, and like a third of the people showed back up. And then it was just like, well, what? Like you can't you can't maintain you know running running races with that type of of uh, turnout. Um, and so that was that was it. Like they did it for two years. I, I did them both, and uh, wish wish it would have been back. But but yeah, you know, half marathon is is certainly a great distance, and and I think it is kind of a no brainer when almost half of your races that you've done have been half marathons. Pretty clear that you enjoy that thirteen point one. Yes, indeed. 
So how'd you get started in this sport? Dwayne, you've been, been running for, for years and years and decades and decades, come into it a little bit more recently. Where'd you get started in this, in the sport of running? No, I was really adult onset runner. Um, I was 32 and I was, you know, working as a PT and um, always a gym rat ever since, you know, PT school kind of got me in the gym as I was going through anatomy and uh, kinesiology and, you know, applying what I was learning about, you know, the muscles in the gym myself. And I loved exploring and, you know, trying new exercises and always consistently, you know, was kind of in the gym pretty much five times a week ever since I, you know, became a physical therapist 19 years ago now. And, um, you know, I had a, uh, my daughter was born and I was getting in my thirties and I wound up actually having hip surgery. So I wound up tearing my labrum. I had a control defect. So a tear of the cartilage and wound up getting hip arthroscopy. And after that, um, my surgeon told me that, you know, I was, I gained some weight. I was like, you know, dad bod here. I'm like my thirties. I'm going through that. Like, Hey, what's going on here? You know, not as lean as in my twenties. And, um, my surgeon was like, you know, if you want to get back in shape after your surgery, just start running. And I'm like, well, I only like run on the treadmill for like cardio, like after my workouts, you know, to lean down. And, um, he was, he was like, no, just don't do the treadmill just because of the force. So it kind of brings your femoral head forward and where they did the surgery for the labral tear that I had as well. Um, so he's like, go outside and run. And here in Connecticut, it was about February, March, and it was still freaking cold. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, you want me to run outside? And, you know, I was, I was motivated to like get back in shape and get, you know, back the body that I had prior to surgery. And I was like, all right, let me give this thing a try. And I like, remember that first run, it was cold. It sucked. It like felt terrible on my body because I was like, obviously not conditioned, but there was something about being outside that I really enjoyed actually getting fresh air. And it like brought me back to like my childhood because for honestly, the 10 to 15 years, um, you know, from college to, you know, being a dad, I really didn't do sports outside anymore. Right. As a kid, we did all the time, every day we were like playing outside and um, doing things outside. So I really kind of started falling in love with it early on and just getting out there. And then it was more of that, you know, Hey, can I run a 5k? You know, Hey, I've been doing this run thing pretty consistently. Like, should I do a race? You know? And it was like our, New Haven uh, road race here. It's a big one on Labor Day. That was my first 5K. And then once I did that, it was, I got the bug. And it was like, okay, let's do some more. Let's try to get faster. All right, let's try a 10K. And then let's try it half. So I guess, you know, the progression that's pretty common in most runners um, where you just kind of, you know, keep challenging yourself. And, and that's what I really love kind of about the running, especially in the beginning part was, the challenge that it provided from a physical standpoint. But honestly, these last five years, really, since I started kind of my business and stuff and kind of things being uh, chaotic, you know, family wise, work wise, it's just honestly the mental clearing miles and just being able to like clear my head, stress reduction. Um, Yeah, that's, that's why I like to run, I guess, and how it kind of started out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, all of us have, have, I think I, hesitate to say all of us because we, we group everybody into one group. And of course, then there's always that with that one outlier, but so many runners have that, that moment where it, it does click. And sometimes it's, it's right away. Sometimes it's, you know, six months later at the first race. Sometimes it might take, uh, e- even a few years. Um, 
but but in that window from like that February ish when you started running outside, it's cold, wasn't great to that to that race around Labor Day when it really clicked. Was it was it were you enjoying the runs? Was it a bit of an acquire? Like how is I'm always curious about those those introductory phases of people's running careers because mine it was in well documented hated it hated it for the longest time and then and then at some point it really did click and I, I don't know that I can necessarily point the finger to it maybe I could at some point but like like it was definitely a, a acquired taste for me for a while how about for yourself yeah yeah I, I wouldn't say I ever hated it it just didn't feel good to do it and I'd made all of the common rookie mistakes of running my runs too fast, right? Because again, I was coming from the mindset of like, hey, when I run on the treadmill in the gym, I'm trying to get lean. I'm just trying to like do cardio and push myself and sweat, right? And so I made all of the rookie mistakes for pretty much my first two to three years <laughs> uh, when I started running, which led to some injuries. And that's really why I'm passionate about what I do now is to like educate, um, especially, you know, beginner runners starting out um, on how to do things the proper way. So they don't wind up suffering from, you know, Achilles tendon pain, as you're well aware of, um, or runner's knee or IT band pain, right? Um, so, yeah, that, I, I would say I did enjoy them. I wasn't one of those people because, yeah, we work with many runners, you know, who are like, yeah, I just don't love to run. And it just sucks. And they just hate every step. And then, and then it's honestly a conversation sometimes, you know, if they're not getting over that point, like you mentioned, is, you know, is running right for you? Like, I don't think everyone should be a runner, um, you know, and if you hate it and it like, and you've tried different strategies, different things in terms of like how you're preparing your body before your runs and strengthening your body so it can tolerate the demands of running. Um, if you're still hated, it's kind of like, then why are you putting yourself through this? Like there are many other forms of exercise that you can do, find one you love and then go pursue that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say I hate it. I, I like the challenge of it. And I, and I, I like seeing the, um, gains in terms of me getting like some fitness back and getting back in shape, um, after my surgery. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned making some rookie mistakes, getting, you know, dealing with some injuries, things that, that, you know, quite frankly, lots of runners can, can put their hands up and say, yep, I, I've been there because you don't know when you don't know any better, you don't know any better. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of with, with a background in physical therapy and, and like you said, kind of getting into it about the same time that you're just, if my timeline is somewhat correct, like you're, you're fresh out of PT school, you're really into the, the beginning of, of your career. Um, it, like, I don't know exactly where the question is going other than like, sometimes maybe the perception is, well, the PT should know how, you know how to not make those, those silly mistakes because, because you have a background in health science. And as, as an athletic trainer myself, I mean, same thing. Like I should, I should have known some better, better ways to go about things and try to, to maybe avoid some of those, those rookie mistakes. Um, you know, like, was there at all any type of, of disconnect or like, how am I dealing with some of these, these issues when maybe quote unquote, I could know better or, or, or am I barking up a tree that there isn't even anything there to bark at? Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. And it is um, something that I was definitely, um, you know, upset with, or it was hard for me to come to grips with that, hey, like, I am this like orthopedic sports medicine PT who like, it's got a specialization in orthopedics. And like, I treat like athletes, right? That, like, that was my, that was my specialty. 
and I had my CSCS, you know, I was like strength and conditioning stress. So I'm like, all right, how am I getting this injury? And actually the first injury that I wound up getting is proximal hamstring tendinopathy. So PHT, that kind of, for those that are listening, it's basically pain when you sit, pain up, upper hamstring pain um, that really causes trouble with prolonged sitting. And um, a lot of people with Zoom fatigue and working from home these last two years, um, I've seen a lot of folks with that, a lot of runners and new runners, right, taking up running during the pandemic. Um, you guys will know what I'm talking about, but it really was, okay, how do I treat this? And it really kind of brought me to a point where I realized that running is very unique, um, especially for distance running, is more unique than what we learned about in PT school as far as like treating the soccer player or the basketball player who tears their ACL or treating the ankle sprain of you know the tennis player or whatever sport you want to say. And I started, you know, learning more and just educating myself. And, you know, even proximal hamstring tendinopathy, for example, is not an entry level diagnosis that you learn about in PT school. Right. It's like pretty specific to runners or cyclists um, that are going to get that. So I knew nothing about it. I thought, hey, you treat it like a hamstring is treated. And even back then, you know, now we're talking 20 years that I was in PT school, you know, we treated tendons differently back then. We didn't know all the evidence that we know now in terms of like strengthening, loading, and, you know, not the old, you know, rest, ice, take Advil and, you know, just stop running. So I was making those mistakes because that's what I learned. Like that was my belief system at the time. Um, there wasn't a lot of great, you know, uh, content out there um, with regard to like tendon healing at that time. So I made those mistakes, but it really kind of the eye opener for me was that runners should be treated differently, especially your adult runner. And, you know, especially the middle-aged runner, right? Like 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, really, you know, our bodies are different than the adolescent athlete. And I feel like in kind of PT school world, it was focusing on adolescent athletes and so I just, yeah, did some more education and, you know, found out, you know, how to actually treat PhD and got myself better and then, you know, implemented the strategies of how do I prevent this from ever coming back? Because a lot of runners out there will get it a second time, a third time, like three years from now, five years from now. And knock on wood, I've been good for 10 years now um, without getting because I've implemented those strategies. So then it really got me thinking about like, okay what is different about runners than kind of the general information that's out there in terms of like injury prevention. And then that's kind of where, you know, led me down the pathway to like specialize in working with runners. Yeah. And, and that's, like I said in the intro, I could talk about this, this part of the topic for, for days and weeks. Like I, I, I nerd <laughs> out about it and, and hopefully we won't go so deep that everybody loses where we're going. Um, but you know, you mentioned, you know, that, that, you finally kind of figured out how to treat the, 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 uh, hamstring issue, the, the, the tendon issue. Um, and, and it's been good, you know, no issues, knock on wood for, for the last decade. And, and, you know, I've seen it, you've seen it. Um, and, and maybe some people listening have lived it where whatever it is, whether it's the shin splints, the hamstring tendon, like whatever it is, some type of, of overuse type of stress injury that like you take care of it, maybe six months later, maybe a year later, somewhere down the line, not too far. Same thing comes back, you take care of it, comes back, rinse and repeat. Um, 
and, and I know that hopefully not as much anymore, but I know that I've had conversations with people four, five, six years ago where it's like, that's just how it is. Like, that's just how running is. I'm going to always have to deal with my shin splints. Or I'm going to always have to deal with my IT band. You know, whenever I train for a marathon, it's going to flare back up. The miles go up. It's going to like, it's going to, it's just a fact. And I guess where I'm trying to go with this is that it's not an inevitability. There are things you can do. And obviously each situation is going to be different and each person is unique and, and all those disclaimers out there. But if anybody's kind of feeling along the lines of like, yeah, you know, like some of these, these aches and pains, these wears and tears, like it's just, it's just an inevitability. If I'm going to run, I'm going to have some of these, these, these issues, you know, we'll maybe start there and zero in as we go. But like, what's, what's your, you know, I'm sure you've heard that before. I'm sure you hear it in the clinic. I'm sure you hear it from people that listen to your podcast or people that you encounter on social media. What's, what's your initial response when somebody's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it's plantar fasciitis. I'm just going to have it. Like, that's just how it's going to be. Um, and, and how do you try to get them to realize that like, no, we can treat these things, but then ultimately really mitigate the risk of it ever coming back down the road. Yeah. I say that that is, um, not true and it is a shift in mindset. And I find that a lot of people get into running as their form of training because they want to get in shape, right? Like I did after my surgery, um, or they want to lose weight. And you really need to shift your mindset in training in order to run. And we actually have to train ourselves as athletes do, right? So we're going out there as runners, running, hitting the pavement, and we're thinking like, oh, we're just a runner. Like, no, we're athletes. And you take any pro athlete, like, what are they doing at the time that they're not on the basketball court or the baseball field, right? They are training. So you as a runner need to actually train to do your sport, which is pound the pavement mile after mile um, to do it in a way that's going to minimize risk. Are we going to be able to totally eliminate all risk and are we going to eliminate all injuries that runners ever face? No. And it is this fine balance of pushing performance and training and walking that line but then allowing recovery, right? So you don't go past the threshold of putting too much stress on the body where you do get one of these common overuse injuries. And it is just very common for, you know, runners, quite frankly, to push those limits, go over that line, and they're not doing the training in order to run. So there's definitely some specific, you know, training principles that people should be implementing into their weekly exercise routine, your regimen, besides going out for a run. Can you, can we unpack that a little bit? What are, what are some of those things? And again, obviously this is general advice is not specific to any one person, anything like that, but what are some of those, those things beyond just the running from, from your perspective that, that we as runners would benefit from doing consistently week after week after week in our running career? Yeah. So these are really kind of what I started the, the podcast actually was, you know, I, I really looked at what are the, you know, principles that I see a lot of injured runners for that they're not doing. And right, what are the things that I've been doing for the last 20 years that were helpful in like preventing injuries? And then, and then what does the literature say and, you know, on how we treat certain common running related injuries? So how do we get it better could turn into prevention. 
Um, so that's really where I came up with like my five tips to run strong and healthy or the kind of the spark blueprint, I call it. And it really consists of, you know, real quickly, like the first one is strengthening. Like runners need to strength train in order to run. Um, so we have strong enough muscles to tolerate the demands of, you know, hitting the pavement at three to six times our body weight with every step we take. Um, so we need strengthening and we need specific muscles to be strong. So there's certain muscles that runners utilize um, because we're on one leg all the time. So strengthening is one. The other one is um, plyometric training. So jump training. And because running is plyometric in nature, we're moving from one foot to the other. It's basically hopping back and forth. Um, our muscles are utilized differently than if we were just to sit down in a leg extension machine at the gym and work our quads, right? So we need to train these muscles to tolerate and learning how to actually land and then spring back up and contract. And it is just building up some like neuromuscular control, we call that, and, and being able to feel that. And you're also strengthening your tendons to kind of prevent some of the common tendinopathies that we see um, in the lower leg. And that, that would be something just for those that are listening and like you just started running and you never even strength trained before, don't start with plyometrics. You have to have the foundation of strengthening first and you need to have strong muscles before you take it to that next level of jump training. Um, and then the other one is, you know, adding in single leg exercises, because I see, you know, it all too common that runners are doing strength training and they're either doing like a boot camp class, a CrossFit class, a Orange Theory fitness class, whatever it is, and no offense to any of them by any means, but any good strengthening program should have single leg exercises implemented in it because you as a runner are always on one leg every single time you hit the pavement. We're never on two legs. So we need to train our bodies in a fashion um, that we are getting good single leg stability and strength. And then, you know, making sure you're adding in those single leg exercises. And then kind of like my fourth principle is really routine, like self-mobility, soft tissue care. So whether it is your foam rolling, um, you know, prior to, after your runs, um, whether you're getting a massage every so often, whether you're implementing some stretching, um, you know, if it's dynamic stretching before your run, static stretching after, kind of taking care of your muscles because they are used a lot when we're out there. So we need to give them a little love, right? We need to kind of address trigger points that we'll feel at different points when we take it up a notch in our running during a training cycle. Um, and then lastly, and this is honestly the most important one, and for me starting out in the clinician world before becoming a coach, this was something I saw all the time. It was literally, you know, runner comes into the clinic and you're, you know, doing your evaluation and you identify real quickly that it was a training error. That's the reason why, you know, their IT band flared up on them because they jumped from 12 mile long run to a 16 mile long run. Right. Or, you know, they jump from running flat to now running some serious hills because they were training for a specific race and they'd run hills before and they decided to do a temple run on hills. Right. Like things, things like that. These training errors um, were so common. And that's why I became a coach, because I'm like, hey, I need to like learn actually how to like train more and learn the, the nuts and bolts of you know, training and, and run planning. And uh, so just kind of like keeping consistent and training smart is like the fifth principle in how we can kind of get strong, stay healthy and continue doing what we love. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and 
certainly uh, echo all all of those points and and hopefully things that I've in some form or fashion I've mentioned before too. So hopefully we're not getting people the first time with these things. They're hearing it again and, and maybe starting to sink in. And and one of them I, I would love to just unpack just just a bit more because it's so easy to overlook and it's to me at least it, to me it's easy to overlook. And it's the importance of doing some single leg training. And you know like like we talked about like like running is very much you know hop balance one foot to hop balance to the next foot, rinse and repeat for as long as you go. Um, and, and when we're doing strength training, you know, even if, you know, let's take squats for an example, easy to think, you know, I'm, I'm working my legs, I'm working my hips, I'm, I'm getting them, you know, engaging some of the muscles that, that I need to be stronger as a runner. Um, but, but one thing I've noticed, and I guess this is where the question is, and, and I'll let you take it from here if, if you agree with me, is that we're not often as symmetrical as we think we are. We, we think we're pretty even right to left. And if I'm doing a squat that I'm lifting 50% of my body weight or 50% of the, the load that I'm lifting on my right leg, 50% with my left leg. And in my experience, that isn't true. And so I guess where the question is, and, and to unpack the, the value of single leg training a little bit more, if you're only doing exercises like squats or deadlifts with both legs, things like that, that are great exercises, but you can almost, you know, if you've got a discrepancy, which most of us do, you're never going to balance that out because your stronger leg, your dominant leg is, is a lot of times going to carry the extra load and your discrepancy may even get worse. And I'm curious if that's something that you've seen in the clinic with the, with the folks you've worked with seen in your runners and, and, um, and, and I'm assuming that that's a big part of the reason why some, you know, including single leg exercises is so important to help realize the difference from one side to the other and try to help bridge that gap a little bit from, from right to left. Absolutely. That is, that is a big reason is because most of us do have asymmetries. We have a weaker side. Like I mentioned, you know, I had hip surgery, my left side, it took literally, and I was like consistent, right? In the gym, like I'm pretty like regimented, um, working on, you know, getting those muscles stronger, but it took a good 12 to 16 months, honestly, before I finally didn't have some asymmetry in my glute max and even my hip flexors on that side. Um, that I had the surgery on. So, you know, most of us do have these asymmetries, whether or not we had a previous injury, because, you know, pain causes inhibition of certain muscles in particular. And then we go on and we just change our movement patterns. And then we're kind of locked in that specific movement pattern um, for a while. And yeah, you'll see many people, you know, doing a bilateral squat and you'll see like their weight shift. You could see it shifts toward one side because they're favoring one side. They don't want to put as much weight on the other side. So now they're getting less muscle activation on that side. So that's, that's one uh, reason. And then the other one, Denny, is really um, that I feel really strongly about is like two muscle groups that, again, are not usually included when you have a general fitness instructor designing an exercise plan is your hip abductors, so the glute med muscle, which is that side hip muscle that keeps our pelvis level when we run and not dropping, which basically causes a lot of, it's kind of the root cause of a lot of the lower extremity conditions um, that are common in runners, whether it is runner's knee, IT band, posterior tibial tendonitis, tendinopathy, um, and then the deep hip external rotators. So you really can't, because that controls like our femur bone, our long bone in our leg, from rotating inward. Um, and then again, especially with knee pain in runners, that's a big contributing factor. So if you're not training on one leg, you're really not getting proper 
activation and stabilization of how your gluteus medius muscle, that side hip muscle, and your deep rotators are actually functioning when we run. So we want them to be strong when we're on one leg so we can control like keeping our kneecap aligned properly at our foot and ankle, right? Making sure that's nice and stable and we're having like a, a strong foot and we're having um, good support versus our knees dipping in a lot when we are running. And if we do that over time, um, then that can lead to some of the, you know, the common problems that we see in runners. So that's another kind of reason why I think it is really important to have that like single leg stability is to hit those certain muscle groups that are not really used or that we need to activate when we're on two legs. And I guess like the hip abductors, the deep rotators, and even those um, deep foot muscles and ankle muscles, um, a lot of times don't need to be activated if we are on two legs. Is, is that, and I think I know the answer, but, but for those listening, the reason that some of those muscles are activated more so in single leg movement, single leg work versus, versus when you're on, on both legs, is that mostly a balance support stabilization type of situation that you lose when you have both feet on the ground? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we're on one leg, if we take that side hip muscle, like if we didn't contract our gluteus medius at all, our pelvis literally drops, mm. you know, five or 10 degrees or you're gonna lean over, your whole upper body is gonna lean toward that side. So for those of you who have maybe done a single leg squat before, and if you look at yourself in the mirror and you see your whole upper body leaning toward one side, then it's probably because your gluteus medius muscle is a little weak and your body's compensating for that. And you know, that pelvic drop is just such a common thing when I you know, evaluate my runners like you know, gate videos and we're looking at that, it's just such a common thing that I find that really contributes to a lot of those lower extremity, you know, injuries. So yeah, it's super important to be able to learn how to keep your pelvis level when you're on one leg doing whatever exercise you're doing, whether it's a reverse lunge, whether it's a single leg squat, whether it's a step up, a step down, um, you know, there are a variety of different, you know, exercise that you can do on one leg. Along, along those lines, and again, uh, this is me trying not to go too deep into this one topic and also not trying to be too specific because, again, you know, everybody's different, everybody's unique, and everybody has, you know, general advice, nothing, nothing for specific cases. Um, but if, if somebody's kind of thinking like, yeah, that sounds like me. I know when I stand on one foot, I kind of cock the hips a little bit to, to, to maintain balance. Um, what, what kind of things can, can somebody do? And maybe you have resources on the website, on, on your site and, and, and videos and things like that to show some of these, these exercises. And if so, please plug them and we'll make sure to link them in the show notes as well. But what, what can we do to kind of help work on, you know, beyond just, I mean, a single leg exercise is great, but are there other things that we can do to help make sure that we're stabilizing the hips and keeping the hips level so that, you know, hopefully that does help to, to engage the right muscles, but also help to minimize the risk of, of injuries farther down the chain? Absolutely. And you, you made a really good point in terms of activate the muscles. And that's usually what it is all about. It's usually someone, you know, maybe never has activated their side hip muscle before their deep rotators. They don't know what it feels like. And that's kind of like normal because these are kind of weird muscles that if you've ever like specifically tried to train them, you're going to be like, I'm not sure what I should be feeling. So there are some specific go-to exercises that I love to be able to just teach someone how to turn on this muscle. 
Um, and I'm sure, you know, many people maybe are listening with this, they're familiar with like a clamshell exercise where you're lying on your side, your knees are bent, you're rotating your knee up and around. Um, and there are specific things you want to watch out for that you're not rolling your, you know, your whole body back and you're really opening your hip up and then feeling the deep hip muscle. It's like your piriformis muscle is the big rotator that everyone kind of knows about. And you kind of bring your knee up and you squeeze that muscle and then lower it down slowly. Um, you know, that's one that we can activate, but then also, and this is where sometimes I feel that runners will get some great information. Like you said, there's a lot of resources online that they'll start doing clamshells and then they just think I need to do clamshells for the next 20 years. No, there's progression for that. And that's where, you know, I have some standing progressions on my YouTube channel, but like there's external rotators. Um, and then the, the side hip muscle, one that I think everyone will be able to understand with the audio version of this is what I like to call the humbler. Um, it's basically a side leg lift, but we do it against a wall. Mm -hmm. So you wind up sliding your heel, you're lying on your side, you slide your heel up the wall and you hold for a second on the top and then you slowly lower down and then you slide up, maintaining tension on that muscle. What the wall does is it helps us activate specifically the back fibers of that side hip muscle. Um, which are the ones that we need when we run and not compensate with the muscle in the front, which is called your TFL muscle. And for those that have had or been told they have a tight TFL, a tight IT band, um, this is usually because you're using that muscle a lot and you're not using the gluteus medius muscle. So that one's a nice simple one that you can do and it like humbles everyone. So even like your most fit athlete, like try to isolate this muscle. You're like, wow, I feel a burn. And then, you know, really going to your point in terms of resources, yeah, we can definitely link like my five tips for healthy running, um, you know, the blueprint that I mentioned before in the show notes and in there, it does have some great, you know, videos and links to my YouTube channel. Um, you know, one that I would definitely recommend also is like with a little mini band, like there's five exercises I love to do to just turn on those hip muscles. And even for runners who are more advanced, I give the, them, you know, these, I just say do a set of like eight or 10, just to like wake these muscles up before we go out for some hard runs. So you know that, you know, those muscles are fired up, they're turned on, you don't need to do like three sets of 10 or three sets of 15. Like, let's do them to kind of activate those, those all important hip muscles, and then go out for your run. Yeah, priming priming the pump a little bit, maybe another way of saying it, but the same same thing. It's that we're not going for the workout before the run. Like we're just trying to get things ready to go so that the muscles are going to fire and and hopefully uh, be a more productive run, a safer run, less stress on the wrong tissues, the wrong areas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, shifting gears slightly, Dwayne, and and I feel like I've, I've asked this question to most of the folks that have been on that are physical therapists. Had have a handful of you folk on the on the show over the years. Um, and, and something that, you know, I know I've gotten from folks and you hear about it on social media of like, I went to the PT, I went to the doctor and they told me to, to just stop running, um, as, as advice to solve the injury or resolve, resolve whatever niggles are going on. Um, and, and so I guess where my question is, is how do we find as, as runners that may eventually have a, a need for some medical advice, medical guidance, how do we find medical professionals that, like understand and, may, and maybe it's finding folks that are some, some level of athlete, whether it's cyclists, triathletes, runners, et cetera, but find finding people to help us that aren't just going to be that carte blanche. Don't run, t 
take six weeks off, then get back into it and see how it goes type of advice. Like, like are there ways to kind of help vet physical therapists, whatever, whatever other types of medical professionals we might be looking for to, to kind of know that, Hey, we're going to be working together and, and they understand that as a runner, we want to keep running. Like it's something we want to do and we want to do it health, you know, in a healthy manner. I guess, how do, how do you try to thread that needle to find somebody that's going to help you instead of just being like, yeah, you know, take some time off and, and maybe just stop running. Cause your body doesn't, your body's not going to be able to handle it when maybe that's not exactly the case. Yeah. And this is something that really kind of, uh, you know, gets me down. Um, when I, you know, talk to a runner and they've been told that, um, and just because, you know, being a runner myself, we know like all the, you know, physical mental benefits that I mentioned in the beginning, right. That, that we're sacrificing. Um, when we do shut it down completely. Um, so I guess the first point, and then we could talk about how you can find resources, but um, the first point is that the majority of running related injuries um, do not need to actually shut down completely. And it is rare. And the big one is the bone stress injury. So for someone who has stress reaction, stress fracture, um, that yes, we need to stop running unfortunately. Um, or if it's a, you know, and this is rare for runners, but they have a severe nerve um, injury, compression, um, where you're getting like shooting pain down your leg, numbness tingling, like, yes, we shouldn't be running through that by any means. Um, but honestly, those are the, the only cases that I rarely ever tell someone to stop running. If someone has a really high irritable Achilles tendon, plantar fasciitis, IT band, and I'm talking, you know, pain levels are, you know, they get pain with walking right now. Their pain levels when they run are seven to eight. Yes, they will need to take some days off. Um, but usually it's not more than a week to tell you the truth. And, you know, what we know about injuries now, and, you know, we're talking the common culprits of these tendon problems or the runner's knee, telephomoral pain syndrome, is that they actually heal better when we maintain activity level and even allowing your body to adapt to running better. So, you know, most of my runners that I start working with, it's a matter of, okay, we're, we don't need to stop running. Um, you're telling me, you know, you're only getting pain with running. You're only getting pain with squatting or going up and down stairs. You don't have pain with walking. Let's see how we do with some walk run intervals, right? They pass that test. Okay. Let's go out for an easy two or three miler, right? But we're, taking away speed work. If they're doing speed work, we're knocking down their long runs, you know, maybe by 50% the first week, the next week we can increase that again. So, and I have found a tremendous difference in terms of outcomes versus when I was back in the clinic treating as, you know, I was trained to treat and, you know, you see a runner in the clinic and it's like, well, stop running. And we're going to do PT two to three times a week for four to six weeks. And then I'm going to discharge you. And then you can start running again. Like, that's, uh, I'm going to say now, and I don't mean to, you know, make generalizations, but coming from someone who has like been in this game a while and has done the whole, and I did my whole like PhD dissertation on telephoral pain syndrome. Um, so I feel like I know the literature pretty well, you know, from like an evidence standpoint, from a clinical expertise standpoint of what I've seen and now how I help runners, um, the outcomes are so much better and we don't need to take away what someone loves to do. That's providing them their mental outlet from their stressful job, from their crazy family life, a mom taking care of like three kids and carting everyone everywhere, right? They need to like get out there and get those mental clearing miles in. Um, 
So it's a matter of mental health. And then we know that you can actually heal from your injury faster if we actually keep you running, but we need to adjust that. And then how do we find providers going to your original question is I really highly encourage um, runners to find either clinicians, medical practitioners who are runners themselves that will understand the demands of running and the importance of, you know, keeping you running. And it is a clinical decision, right? So as we as clinicians, we're making, this is our clinical decision-making. It's like, okay, what do we do? We're at a pathway based upon this presentation, based upon X, Y, and Z, this is my recommendations. And there is some gray in there, right? There's no, it's not like a, unless it's a stress fracture, it's like, right. okay, boom, you're in a boot, sorry. We need to let the bone heal. Um, but it is, you know, there's some flexibility there. So I think those that run have a different perspective in making that clinical decision. They're not going to do something that's going to harm you by any means because they want to help you. Um, but I, I think there's another element that goes into their decision-making process or someone that works with a lot of runners. So you don't necessarily need to go see a runner themselves, but hey, they've worked with a lot of runners. They're doing like some presentations. They're presenting at conferences. They're, you know, whatever, holding um, groups or they're right in charge of some sports med department that really has a special interest in running related injuries. Maybe they're not a runner themselves. They just have a, a real good interest and they have a lot of knowledge about running. Um, so those are the people that I really highly recommend runners seek out um, when they are getting help um, with their injuries. Because unfortunately, you know, if, if it's not one of those categories, it's kind of like hit or miss, you know, and yeah, you can get some good care, um, but it is all too often, which really frustrates me hearing this. And I also uh, teach in a DPT program for my PT students. I tell them all the time, like, yeah, it's going to don't tell your runners to stop running because number one, they're either not going to like you and they're not going to do the exercises that you're telling them to do, or they're not going to be compliant or they're not going to come back. Um, so yeah, I'm very passionate about that is just, you know, keep running and find a way to do it that is actually accelerating healing and not harming, you know, the person. Yeah. Um, Oh man, so many, so many follow-ups to that. I'm going to ask one and then we'll shift to the podcast before we wrap things up. But what is, what is the research saying or what is your experience saying that, that continuing to run helps speed up the recovery again, obviously with making some adjustments, maybe taking the intensity down, maybe taking the volume down, but continuing some, some level of motion for, you know, pick, pick a, we'll pick a, a Achilles, Achilles itis, which is what I was dealing with there for a minute. I think I'm, I'm past that now, thankfully, but I, I had it for a while. Um, why would in that type of situation, in my type of situation, why would some running maybe be helpful in speeding up that process? Yeah, it's all about um, blood flow, honestly, and load. So especially for the itises and, you know, the, these tendon problems, um, it is about loading tissue. So if we like stop running, then we're not loading anything. Right. And we're just doing maybe some specific exercise, which should focus on loading, by the way, and not just stretching. Um, so we're loading those tissues and then we load them when we run. So you're allowing your body to adapt to the sport you're doing, the running that you're doing. Um, so that's really the important part. You know, are we stimulating more blood flow than if you're just sitting on the couch watching Netflix? Absolutely. Right. Are we getting some mobility in our joints um, versus if we were just sitting on the couch? Uh, yes. So there are other things that are happening. And then you're also integrating, hopefully, the rehab specific exercises that you're doing 
to, you know, get rid of this Achilles problem, let's say, um, now you're integrating it into the actual motion and the movement that you're looking to get back to doing. And that's really kind of the key is bridging that gap from being an injured runner to being a healthy runner, right? And how do we bridge that gap? How do we go from you're seeing whatever medical practitioner um, because of your injury, and now you you really want to run this half marathon that's coming up in you know three months, and that's really kind of I guess this is kind of good segue as you mentioned the podcast. I, that's why I created the podcast mm. um, is, and that's why you know I created you know Spark Healthy Runner where you know we just help runners get stronger um, and be able to actually get faster, but stay healthy along the way, and you know enjoy lifelong injury free running, which is my goal. I want to be running till I'm in the box, literally. So. I figure that's that's my goal, and I will share what I'm learning along my running journey, and try to help as many people you know as I can along the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think I usually uh, phrase it as I want to keep running until they put me in the ground, but uh, same same <laughs> same notion for sure. You know, I want to keep doing this for as, as long as I'm able to. Um, how how long ago did you start the podcast, Dwayne? Ah, uh, so we are. Um, yeah, we've been two and a half years now. So two and a half years. So I actually started it um, three months before the pandemic. Um, so I know a lot of podcasters started during the pandemic. So it was like, hey, we have extra time on our hands. Um, but I did, uh, you know, launch it that January prior to uh, COVID happening. And, you know, then when COVID happened, it was like, wow, I really need to, you know, even get into this more so. And, and really kind of COVID accelerated, you know, in terms of my time and attention and, uh, making it successful and continuing um, to where we are today, where we're not in the thousands, Denny, like <laughs> episode wise, but I'm pretty proud about being at like 130, you know, consistently every week, haven't missed a week uh, being able to publish because you know how hard it is and how much work there is behind the scenes um, to get these things up and up and running. So I'm pretty uh, proud of that. But I, I, yeah, I give you credit, man. You've been so consistent and just being able to share all you've, you've shared with our running community is just amazing. So thank you for doing that. Oh, well, well, I appreciate that. And, and you definitely, you definitely should be proud. I, I know that the, the, the numbers vary from, you know, source to source, but somewhere in the neighborhood, I feel like the, the, the consensus is, you know, somewhere between like six and, and 12 episodes is like the average duration of a podcast because people start them, don't necessarily realize all that goes into it. So yeah, to be at 130 just chipping away. I mean, that's, that's how we got to a thousand is, is just one episode at a time. Keep putting them out there, keep doing the thing. Um, and, and if you keep doing that, keep showing up, you know, it allows you to keep helping folks, which I know is a big part of my goal, big part of your goal. Um, so, so great work to this, to this point, 130 ish episodes in two and a half years, almost now. Um, what's been one of the, one of the highlights, whether it's, it's folks you've talked to or feedback from listeners or whatever it is, like what, what has been some of the, you know, one or two of the highlights of the podcast journey for you to this point? Yeah, I think it, it is when you get that message from someone that, you know, you had no clue they were listening and, you know, they're meeting someone who's not in like our coaching programs and, you know, they just reach out and they're like, Hey, I just, you know, crushed my half marathon. I've been listening, you know, for two years to the podcast. I've been, you know, implementing everything I've been learning, you know, thank you for that. And it's like being able to help someone that you had no clue that you were helping um, during that time and someone who really kind of took the information and actually implemented it. And I love your, um, you know, motto as well in terms of like, you know, coaching is, you know, a luxury and coaching, everyone doesn't need a coach. 
Um, and that's where I think the podcast comes in handy for those that do have the time and, you know, they want to, because I was the same way, honestly, when I started out, it was like, they like researching stuff. They like the challenge to like put things together and put the puzzle together and make it work for them. Um, you know, being able to help those folks via the podcast and just reach more runners than me working one-on-one -on -one with someone, um, that's been, that's been pretty neat. And just, you know, being able to impact, I guess, uh, more of our running community and just so people can stay healthy and like, you know, do what they love. Um, but, you know, I've, I've definitely had some guests on, um, like you have guests on your show um, who have been, you know, definitely inspiring stories um, that we've had on the show. And then just, you know, people within the running space that, you know, you know, whether it's like a Stephanie Flippin or like Ali Feller, or like people like match it. I'm like, like I would never have a conversation with like, like you, right. It's, it's kind of like being able to have conversations with these people that if I don't have the podcast, like I'm sure that those conversations would never happen. Um, so just getting to meet, you know, various people within our running community um, has been, been really neat. And even just taking me outside of my, comfort zone box of like, you know, rehab, prehab, injury prevention, right. And getting into different elements of running, um, has, has really been uh need because it's a hobby for me. And like, I'm just lucky to be able to do, you know, what I love and be able to do that for like work, right. Like call it work, like, but I'm enjoying and loving what I'm doing is, am I putting time and energy into it? Absolutely. But it is allowing me to actually, you know, do what I love. Yeah. Well, same, same for me. And, and y'all listening, if, if you uh, want some more of Dwayne in your, in your earballs on a, on a consistent basis, the healthy runner podcast is available wherever podcasts are disseminated. What's, what's your, uh, like you said, weekly, what's, what's your, what's your day of the week, Dwayne? Yeah. So they get published on Thursdays, every Thursday. And we do those live, you know, within our healthy runner Facebook group. Um, so those are on Mondays. So if anyone uh, is a Facebook person, and they want to, you know, join the group and get in the conversation because we field questions, you know, for anyone who's dropping questions in the comments area. Um, but yeah, Thursdays, you'll get it, you know, published on the podcast wherever you listen and on YouTube as well. So I put all the videos of those interviews up on YouTube. Oof. That's more work than I can handle. I, I, ain't nobody got time for, for publishing videos every week. Of I, I tried it for a little while, got like two views per video on YouTube. And I was like, yep, yeah, that's, uh, you know, we're, we're done here. But anyway, you know, YouTube on, on the audio, whatever, whatever you're looking for, healthy runner podcast, uh, with, with Dr. Dwayne Scotty, uh, is available wherever your podcasts are, uh, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. One last question for you, Dwayne, before we get you out here today, I like to, to wrap up the conversation. You probably heard me ask a couple of these philosophical type questions. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at this point in your, in your running career, uh, you know, better part, I think if I, if my remember memory is correct, 18, 18 ish years, something like that of, of running and getting out there and, and obviously something that you plan to keep doing for as long as you're able to, um, why do you do it? You know, at this point, why is running an important part of your life? Why is it something that, that, you do want to get out there for on a, on a consistent basis. Why, why do you run Dwayne? Yeah, it just makes me feel good. Um, from a physical standpoint, um, it allows me to challenge myself in, you know, ways that I want to be challenged as we age, honestly, quite frankly, but it's really the, the mental benefits of running, you know, unfortunately, um, and I know I don't mean to drop this on you, but, uh, and you probably didn't think it was going this way, but I did lose my mom during COVID. Oh, so, you know, to, to COVID. So, 
you know, running honestly was like my saving grace, like getting through that difficult time period. So, you know, from that standpoint and grieving and then to dealing with just life stressors, right? I just find the, um, and like yourself, I'm sure, you know, I think a lot of us entrepreneurs are kind of driven in a certain way to keep going, 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 going and pushing hard, hard, hard. And eventually, right, something's going to give. So really um, allowing that mental space that I need to really like reset every day, you know, or five days, six days, whatever, you know, I'm doing during that week. Um, it really allows me that space and time that I need mentally to kind of calm things down a bit and then reset. And then it allows just that focus for me to do what I got to do for that day. I love it. And, uh, as is often the case, I'm just nodding along going, yep, yep. That makes sense. I can resonate with that. And I'm sure other, other folks listening are, are as well. So once again, y'all sparkhealthyrunner.com is the website on Instagram at spark healthy runner, uh, the healthy runner podcast and, and anything else, you know, that, that we talked about the Facebook group, YouTube channel, all that type of stuff. You can find Dwayne in various places and we'll have it all linked up in the show notes for today. Dizruns.com slash 1068 Dizruns.com slash 1068. We'll get you there. Great resources. Definitely recommend checking things out that, that Dwayne has put together because it will help you. Of course, if you implement it, that's always the key. You can look at the information. You can listen to the podcast. You got to do the things, but it will be, be useful for you. So Dwayne, thanks for, for making the time today. So as I knew was going to be the case, so many things I wanted to get into that we barely, barely scratched the surface on, could have gone deeper on a bunch of things. Maybe good Lord willing, we can circle back and do this again uh, another time or two down the road. But uh, thank you for the time today. I appreciate it. And uh, nothing but the best to you on, on all fronts going forward, my friend. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate uh, having me on. And this was a fun conversation, Dad. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Dwayne and myself. And as per usual, be curious to know what stood out to you from today's episode. What was your little uh, takeaway du jour, du jour from our little chit chat today? Lots of good things in there today. You know, like I said at the beginning, I could have talked to Dwayne for days and, and really dive deep, dive deeper than we did dive or dove or dived, whatever, whatever the past tense of dive is. I could have gone, gone a lot deeper into a lot of the areas we talked about. Some we didn't even get to. So needless to say, multiple options of takeaways for me today. But the one I want to focus on is the one that is one of the ones that I didn't exactly see coming. But the more I thought about it, is like brilliant advice or a brilliant recommendation if you actually hear the whole message as opposed to what a lot of us do, what maybe you did, is hear what you want to hear and filter out the rest. That was the idea of continuing to run through many running-related injuries, which probably a few of us are guilty of doing in the past, maybe guilty of doing right now. Um, But like Dwayne said, there's very few injuries that straight up you probably shouldn't run with. Structural things, bone issues, fractures, stress fractures, things like that. Yeah, probably don't want to run through that. Like you need to give the bone time to heal. But a lot of the soft tissue injuries that we get, some of the itises, some of the the other, you know, chin splints, IT bands, things like that, maybe we can continue to run while also treating them the key being, and this is where my takeaway is, is that you get, you got to you got to hit the the second part of the the statement or the second part of the sentence and really embrace that, or else you can't have the first part. 
if you're going to keep running through some type of, of injury, you can't necessarily just keep running as you were. You're going to need to adjust your running. And, you know, Dwayne talked about maybe doing some, you know, some walk intervals or, you know, really shortening down the durations, maybe dialing back on, on speed or, or higher intensity workouts, really embracing running easy. Uh, maybe, you know, again, mixing in more walking, um, you're going to have, you're, you're probably going to have to, and I would maybe go even so far as to say, you're going to have to not just keep on keeping on. You're going to have to ad- adjust, hopefully short-term, probably relatively short-term, uh, but you're going to have to adjust what you're doing in order to allow your body to heal whatever issue you're dealing with while continuing to train. You may have to cut back on volume some, that's okay. I mean, some volume better than zero volume, right? But where we get in trouble, or at least where I feel like I've gotten in trouble, where I feel like some folks I've coached have gotten in trouble, where I certainly feel like some folks I've seen on social media get in trouble is like, yeah, I've got this nagging thing. You know, remember not too long ago, I had a little case of the itis in my heel and uh, I wasn't willing, I guess, to really cut my volume down, to really get into some run walk for a little while, to be able to still get some time on my feet, to still scratch the itch but to take some of the, the stress off of my, my Achilles tendon at the time. So needless to say, it didn't get better until I actually took all the time off. But, you know, maybe in hindsight and, and with, with Dwayne's advice, I mean, it makes sense if I would have adapted my training for that four to six weeks, I probably could have still logged some miles, maybe even just about as many miles as I had been logging without any negative effects and still healed at the same time. So don't hear this as me saying if slash when you end up with an injury down the road to just keep running through it. Cause that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is depending on what you're dealing with and what Dwayne said as well. And what is my takeaway for today? You may be able to keep running through it, but you're also very likely going to have to adapt your training a little bit so that you're not putting too much stress on tissues that are in the process of repairing themselves, thus slowing down that repair process. So, Something to think about. Hopefully something none of us will need anytime soon, but probably somebody, hopefully not me, hopefully not you, but probably somebody might be able to utilize that thought in the not too distant future. So something to keep in mind, something to keep in mind. Maybe running through some injuries is possible. Just adapt your running accordingly. Anyway, that was my takeaway. What about you? What stood out to you for today's episode? As always, I'd love to hear it. So feel free to reach out. Let me know. Share your thoughts. Share your your likes, your dislikes, whatever from today's episode. You can always find me on social media at DizRuns on Twitter, at DizRuns on Instagram. You can also send an email to DizRuns at gmail.com. And of course, you can head over to the show notes for today. Photos, links, the whole nine as per usual. DizRuns.com slash 1068. DizRuns.com slash 1068. Down there at the bottom, if you just don't keep on scrolling, you'll find that comment section as well. Thoughts and feedbacks, always appreciated in whatever form or fashion works best for you. One last call for Be Ready on race day. I mean, it's one last call for today. It's still out there, not planning on going anywhere. But if you want a book to help yourself, help teach yourself how to put a training plan together that uh, I like to think is pretty good, you know, gives you a fully comprehensible way to put your plan together and not only put it together, but also adapt it and adjust it. Some suggestions for ways to adjust as needed because, you know, life is usually going to life. And how do you respond? 
That's all available in Be Ready on Race Day. You can find it at BeReadyOnRaceDay.com. You can also find it on, on Amazon, uh, in, in the bookstore, on the Kindle store, maybe someday on the Audible store. Let me know on that. We'll, we'll get it taken care of. Uh, but one way or the other, check it out if you haven't done so already and think it might be useful for you. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for taking Dwayne and I with you today. Until next time, y'all, be well. Take good care. Thanks one more time for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.